bringing you the latest in tax credit news. This is Tax Credit Tuesday with your host, Michael Novogratik. Hello, I'm Michael Novogratik, and this is Tax Credit Tuesday. Today is Tuesday, June 5th, 2018. This Sunday marks 16 years since the first round of the New Markets Tax Credit Program opened. And I know many of our listeners have been active participants in the New Market Tax Credit Program since its inception. That was an exciting time getting to know a brand new community development tool. Now fast forward 16 years later, and we now have another new resource to add to our community development tool belt, the Opportunity Zones Incentive. We'll be discussing Opportunity Zones in detail this week at the Novogratic 2018 New Markets Tax Credit Spring Conference in Washington, D.C. And in addition to holding an Opportunity Zones workshop on Wednesday, that's the Wednesday before the conference, we're also honored to welcome Senator Tim Scott as our keynote speaker on Thursday. Senator Scott was essential to getting Opportunity Zones enacted as part of the 2017 tax bill. I'm very much looking forward to Senator Scott's insights, and I do hope to see many of my listeners at the conference this week. Turning now to what's in store for you in this week's podcast, First, I'm going to discuss a revised local housing tax credit form that reflects the new income averaging set-aside. I'll also discuss a change in Missouri state leadership that could affect the state's local housing tax credit and historic tax credit. Then, I'll also talk about changes to the Community Reinvestment Act that have been suggested by a group of Democratic senators. From there, I'll briefly touch on the status of a HUD appropriations bill for 2019. After that, I'll share some other affordable housing, community development, and historic preservation headlines from the past week. If you're ready, let's get started. I have big news for our listeners who work with the low-income housing tax credit, or at least those that are looking to rent some units at income levels above 60%. The IRS has posted a revised Form 8609 on its website. Form 8609 is used to document to the IRS the amount of credits allocated to a project and they make certain required elections, most notably for the purpose of this blurb, including the minimum set-aside election. The updated Form 8609 now features an option to choose average income as the minimum set-aside election, as created under the 2018 Omnibus Spending Bill. Now previously, household incomes and low-income attached properties could not exceed 60% area median income at move-in. Income averaging allows some apartment units to have income levels as high as 80% of area median income, while other apartments are at lower levels as long as the property-wide average equals no more than 60% of the area median income. Now, we've described income averaging at length in previous podcasts, and we have in-depth analysis of the provision on our blog and in this month's Novograd Journal of Tax Credits. So I'm not going to dive into much more detail here on how the provision actually operates. But in essence, income averaging allows a low-income housing tax credit property to serve a wider range of household incomes. Now remember, income averaging is only available to properties that have not yet made a minimum set-aside election on Form 8609. At the time of this recording, I'll note, the instructions for filling out the revised form have not yet been updated, at least not updated on the IRS website. Neither has the IRS updated Form 8823 for reporting noncompliance or building disposition to reflect the income averaging option. Now, if you have questions 
about income averaging or completing your Form 8609, please contact a Novogratz partner near you. I'd also encourage you to reach out to Thomas Stagg in our Seattle, Washington office, I should say Bellevue, uh, as he's worked quite extensively in understanding the intricacies of the income averaging provision. Now, I'll share a link to the revised form 8609 and our income averaging blog post in today's show notes, and I'll send out a tweet. Next, I have information from the state of Missouri. Eric Greitens resigned as the governor of Missouri last Friday. Now, Greitens, as you may have recalled from prior podcasts, has been critical of the Missouri state tax credit programs, the state tax credit programs, not the federal tax credit programs, especially the state historic tax credit and the state long business tax credit in Missouri. Last Friday, though, before leaving office, Greitens signed a bill into law that reduces the state historic tax credit program cap from $140 million to $90 million, plus $30 million for projects and qualified census tracts. Now, regarding the state long term tax credit, Greitens was a member of the Missouri Housing Development Commission, and he appointed four commission members last year who likewise opposed the state long term housing tax credit. Now, in December, you may also recall, he led a commission vote to put a freeze on the state housing tax credit program. Now, interesting to note, the governor appointed two of the members just hours before that long-term housing tax credit vote. Now, the commission then voted 8-2 to two not to authorize state funds to match the federal long-term housing tax credit program. Now, who were the only two commission members who opposed zeroing out the state program? Who were the two no votes in the 8-2 to two vote? One was state treasurer Eric Schmidt. The other is the man replacing Greitens as governor of Missouri then Lieutenant Governor Mike Parson. Now, Parson will serve out the rest of Greitens' gubernatorial term, which ends January 2021. Now, Parson, at the time of the Housing Commission vote, said that eliminating the state local housing tax credit would hurt the poor, elderly, and disabled. Needless to say, affordable housing advocates in Missouri are relieved to have a supporter of the state local housing tax credit in office. And I even expanded to say affordable housing advocates nationwide. So where does this leave Missouri State long housing tax credit? Well, I'd say it's very likely that next year's qualified allocation plan will include the credit. The statute that authorizes the credit was never amended or repealed. The Missouri Development Commission in November 2017 simply voted to not authorize an allocation for that year. That was the 8-2 to two vote. I should also note, none of the Housing Commission members appointed by Greitens, those no votes, remain on the commission. That's because the Missouri Senate refused to confirm them. So theoretically, Parson, the new governor, could appoint new commission members who support reauthorizing allocation for the state long-term housing tax credit. However, Missouri House Budget Committee Chairman Scott Fitzpatrick He has said that the commission will have to make a case for the credit before the House Budget Committee in order for that committee to authorize issuance of the credit. Now, the Budget Committee chairman did say his committee might not restart the program unless certain changes are made, such as reducing the amount of credits issued each year. So there's a lot to still come from these new developments in Missouri. And if you have questions on how these potential changes could affect your developments and investments or one other insights as to what the lay of the land is with respect to Missouri state tax credits, 
both historic and low-income housing, I'd encourage you to reach out to my partner, Mike Kressig. He's in our St. Louis office. Let's turn now to banking regulation. Last week, 16 Democratic senators sent a letter to the three federal banking agencies urging them to make changes to the regulation or implementation of the Community Reinvestment Act, or CRA. In the letter, the senator said that CRA has made positive contributions to low and moderate income communities over the years. However, updates are long overdue. The federal banking agencies are expected, as you may know from prior podcasts, they're expected in their future to publish an advance notice of proposed rulemaking that could result in major CRA changes. Hence, we're seeing various groups and agencies submit their input on what those changes should be. Now, in their letter last week, the senators agreed with some of the recommendations that Treasury had issued in April, such as updating CRA to allow credit for investments outside of traditional assessment areas. Now, the senators also called for other ways that banking agencies can strengthen the CRA, can broaden CRA's applicability, and ways to increase opportunities for minorities. Now, you can find the letter on the Novogratic CRA Resource Center website. I'll also tweet out a link to that page. Now, I'd like to share a brief overview of the 2019 Transportation HUD spending bill that was approved by the House Appropriations Committee on May 23rd. In general, the bill maintains HUD spending levels close to the 2018 levels, which, by the way, were a 10% increase from 2017 levels. Representative Wendy Wasserman Schultz offered an amendment to increase funding for the Section 202 Housing for the Elderly Program, an increase of $46 million, which would bring the total funding for the program to $678 million. That would be equal to the 2018 level. Now, I'm not going to list the amounts here of the various programs and the recommended spending. However, you can find a detailed breakdown of the funding on the notes from the Democratic blog. Now, what are the next steps? Well, I expect the full House to consider the 2019 T-HUD bill before the August recess, just a couple months away. Meanwhile, on the Senate side, the Senate Appropriations Committee T-HUD subcommittee scheduled a markup of its 2019 T-HUD bill for today. And the full Senate Appropriations Committee is scheduled to consider the markup on Thursday. In other news, California now has a single application for 4% low income tax credit awards, combination of low income tax credit and tax and bond awards. Previously, the state's debt limit allocation committee, the committee that allocates bonds, and the tax credit allocation committee allocates the low income tax credit, each had its own separate application. Even though applicants have to get both the tax credit and the tax and bond allocations for a 4% transaction. This new application is available on the state treasurer's website. And in other state-level news, the Colorado State Historic Tax Credit was extended 10 years and had some changes thanks to a law that went into effect last week. The Colorado Credit was extended through the end of 2029, from 2019 to 2029. And there were other changes, the most notable being the annual $10 million cap now has to be split evenly between large and small projects. In this case, small is defined as $2 million or less in qualified rehabilitation expenditures. 
and large projects are those with more than $2 million in costs. Now, the new law also boosts the state credit percentage for projects in rural areas and in disaster areas. Meanwhile, turning to HUD, looking at some national news, last week HUD published a notice establishing Renewal Funding Inflation Factors, or RFIFs, for the Housing Choice Voucher Program. RFIFs are used by public housing agencies to adjust housing choice voucher allocations for local changes in rents, utility costs, and tenant incomes. Now, I've included a link to the HUB webpage with the factor for each fair market rent area with today's show notes, and I'll also tweet out a link. If you have questions on this, please reach out to Rich Larson in our Tom's River, New Jersey office. Staying with HUD for the moment, I also want to note that HUD published the increase in per-unit mortgage limits for FHA multifamily mortgage programs. Now, HUD releases these figures every year, and this year there is a 2.1% increase. You can see how that affects each type of housing in the HUD announcement, which I included in today's show notes, as well as tweeting out a link. In turning to community development news, the CDFI Fund recently released its latest Qualified Equity Investment Issues Report. As of the report's May 31 release date, the amount of new market tax credit allocation authority that's technically still available is nearly $5.5 billion. And I say technically because a lot of that funding is already soft-circled by individual developments, projects, businesses. I should also note $218 million in allocation authority was issued since the CDFI Fund's last report on May 3rd. The link to the QI report is in today's show notes, and I tweeted out a link. Well, that brings me to the end of this week's report. But before I close, once again, a quick reminder, our Novogratic 2018 New Markets Tax Credit Spring Conference is in Washington, D.C. this week. And it's not too late to join us for the conference or for the pre-conference workshop tomorrow. The the pre-conference workshop will focus entirely on Opportunity Zones. The workshop will cover everything from risks and benefits to how the Opportunity Zones incentive differs from the New Markets Tax Credit. The Conference and Opportunity Zones Workshop registration links are in today's show notes. That's it for now. I'm Michael Novogratik. Thanks for listening. This weekly podcast has been brought to you by Novogratik and Company, LLP. Archived podcasts are available online at www.novaco.com forward slash podcast or by subscribing to the Tax Credit Tuesday podcast in iTunes. You can find related links referenced in this podcast in our show notes at www.novaco.com forward slash podcast. Novogratik and Company LLP is a national certified public accounting and consulting firm with offices nationwide. Learn more about our professional services at www.novaco.com.